This is a drink with a friend. I'm Tish Oxenrider. And I'm Seth Haynes. Seth, I think I just saw what you're drinking. But why don't mm. you just tell us what are you drinking? Why don't you guess? See what you can guess. Oh, that's true. I just assumed it's coffee. It's a coffee mm. mug, is it not? It's definitely a coffee mug. But is it yeah. coffee? It is coffee. Yeah. It's yeah. it's mm-hmm. coffee. It's cheap coffee. <laughs> it's office coffee. This is like my uh, drink du jour these days. I was actually going to go downstairs to Hailfellow and grab a cup of Joe, but I had a pour over there this morning to start my day, and it felt a little bit bougie to do two <laughs> coffees from a coffee shop in one day. But let right. me tell you, if you're ever in Northwest Arkansas, you should let me take you to Hailfellow Wellmet, which is a mouthful. Yeah. But they do great coffee and their food is so beautiful. They use like edible flowers and decorate everything. It's it's actually it's it's the single most Instagrammable coffee shop in all of America, I think. <laughs> well, I would love to go visit there. I think it sounds really well, cool. I love the name. Yeah. It's an amazing name and everyone who comes to Northwest Arkansas, you should definitely visit. Cool. So, all right. Tish. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that you're not drinking edible flowers. No. What are you drinking? No, I'm today? not. Unless you count. No, you don't count plants as fa- uh, flowers because I was going to say there's a lime in my drink, but that's a fruit. Um, I am drinking my pretend apple cider vinegar mocktail, which sounds gross, but is actually very good. So as a reminder to people, it is like a tablespoonish of apple cider vinegar, uh, a thing of sparkling water and a squeeze of lime. And that's mm. it. And what my kind of sparkling water is it? And it's H-E-B brand uh, grapefruit. And so it's very good. It sounds weird, but it's very, very good. And it tastes like there should be alcohol in it, but there's not. And it's actually good for your digestion, hence the hmm. ACV in it. So yeah. You know, okay. I've been doing a lot lately um, as I'm out. You know, I've been, I've been traveling a lot. I've been in trial a lot. And when you're in, in trial, when you're hanging out with a lot of lawyers, there's just a lot of drinking that goes on. It's just a thing that happens. And it's an occupational hazard, and most most of the people that I work with, all the people that I directly work with, but most of the people that you know that I'm in contact with as an attorney can handle their alcohol. They don't seem to have a problem. That's great. Um, but when I'm in those situations, what I tend to do is have a, a club soda with a lime and a dash of bitters. And let that me tell good. you, it's delightful. Yeah, that sounds really it, good. And people look at you and they're like, oh, you drink just like us. And I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Th- yeah. There's a reason your head is up and theirs are down. Yeah. Well, that's, well, you said they can handle it. So yeah. Generally speaking, I don't work with people who, who, uh, whose heads go down when they drink. Well, that's just, <laughs> which is a good thing. And I think, you know, I will say this, and this is kind of a tangent. Um, but over the last, you know, few years, I guess I've noticed a lot more people in the workplace particularly, and maybe it's my age, but I don't think it is. I think it's awareness. I've seen a lot more people, you know, really being aware of sobriety and taking long stretches to make sure that they're not dependent on alcohol or, you know, dependent on anything really Um, doing, you know, sober September or or Mm -hmm. dry January or things like that. Um, And and, and they'll go back to drinking, but just to make sure that they're yeah. Uh, that they don't have a problem, and I think that's really I cool. If, and, and I wonder so, if sobriety I, in the workplace is kind of a trend. I've seen that too, and I wonder if it's a pendulum swing or a response to maybe the opposite trend that is also sadly happening. Because I heard on a news podcast this morning that alcohol related deaths were up twenty five percent in twenty twenty one, and yeah. uh, mostly due to COVID and lockdowns and quarantine. So. Yeah. Um, I wonder if some people had that feeling of like, oh, I, I, I can sense my real self a little too much. And I, I can, uh, I don't know, I, I can see my tendencies in the future and that scares me. So I'm going to stop way ahead of the line before I even get to the line because that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And I think a lot of people too are just sort of, you know, in, in my second book, the book of waking up, I talk about attachments and how those things can like sneakily get into you, how you can sort of wake up one day and be like, Oh crap, I'm attached to fill in the blank. I think a lot of people are more aware of that idea, whether they're using the language attachment or not. But I think more people are aware of that idea, especially professional people, you know, the, the, 
the people that are in my everyday world, they're more aware of that. And they're saying like, I can't perform if I'm constantly hazy headed. Um, and so I, I think maybe that's why I'm seeing the trend in those circles of like, Hey, let's take a month off and see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because nobody and, wants to be dead of alcohol poisoning. No, no, it's not a good way to go. And speaking of attachments, how's that for a segue? Um, we wanted to do a little check-in on your uh, unattachment to social media in 2022. You are committed to not being on through uh, the first half of the year, correct? Is that what you decided? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Six months. How, okay. So we're about halfway through that, right? How's that been? Well, I mean, so there were some things that I did not foresee happening. Okay. So one of those things is um, I forgot. I didn't think, I just not like I forgot. I just didn't realize or think through how much direct communication I get through social media. So um, it won't be a ton, but, you know, once or twice a week, maybe more. Um, on some weeks, I'll get a direct message from somebody, um, you know, looking to connect. And sometimes it's business related. Actually, often it's business related. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that's through Instagram or Twitter, it'll be somebody who's just like, yeah, I know you're out there somewhere. I don't really know how to find you. They don't think to Google my work address. And they don't know that I've been off for six months. Um, and so I have found myself having to check in once every couple weeks just to make sure that I haven't missed any DMs. And I and I actually have missed some DMs that were really important. So I'm glad I checked in. When I check in, um, I also mm-hmm. will, you know, I mean, obviously when I go to Instagram, it, it takes me to the home screen, right? And so I typically will see a post, whatever post is at the top before I go to my DMs. And, um, you know, I'm not scrolling, I'm not moving through the feed, but I will say, this happened last week. And um, there was a woman that I work out with. She's an amazing human being. She's uh, uh, involved in our university athletics department. Um, She's kind of a personal coach, um, motivator for uh, women's sports in our community, particularly women's softball at the university level. And she hit a very you know, insane personal goal that she had. And she was super excited and super happy about it. And uh, when I opened up my Instagram, it was there on the front page and I read it. And I was really happy for her, you know, and then I went and I answered this DM and then got off. And I saw her yesterday at the gym and I said, Hey, look, I've been off six months, but last week I had to get on to check this DM and answer, respond to it. And I saw your post. And it was a point of connection and engagement. She, her face lit up. She was so happy. We talked about the fact that she had met this goal. It actually created a moment of connection um, that was really authentic and inspiring and actually encouraged me at the end. And I thought, you know what? This isn't all bad. I think you also tapped into when social media shines and that's when it can um, uplift your offline life. You know, like it doesn't yeah, replace totally. it. It makes it better. Totally. And so that's what it happened with you. It. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I think one of the places I want to start today as we talk about the check-in is, is like, you know, I, I think, it, and I've gotten some private pushback and, and I wouldn't go as far as say criticism because I don't think it's been criticism, more questioning. Um, but I have gotten some, uh, you know, private pushback of just like, Hey, look, everything here is not bad. And, and, uh, you know, all the influencers are not bad and all of the, this or the, that are not bad. And listen, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm here to tell you, I agree. It's not all bad. It like the like social media in it of itself is not evil. Now we can talk about things like, algorithms and the rise of narcissism around the use of social media and how people inappropriately sort of manipulate the system to, to stroke their own egos. We can talk about all those things. Um, but I will say from the outset, uh, it's not all bad. And so to that end, there are parts of social media I've really missed. Um, and I didn't really think about that until last week. I mean, I've thought about it a little bit off and on, but it really hit me last week. 
Well, and I think I've made this analogy before, but it's like money in that it's a tool, like a brick. You can use it to break a window or build a wall. So it all has to do with how you use it. I think the downside and what makes maybe money differently from social media is the um, the coding on the back end is inherently meant to be addictive. So yeah, it's a feature yeah, it's, and not a bug. So it can be tricky. It's true. It, it, it can be tricky. And I think, you know, my, my guess would be uh, that more people fall prey to the algorithm than don't. Mm-hmm. For sure, because I mean, we're human beings. It's not because they're like bad people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, that's yeah. I think that's my my opening thought about social media. You know, I think to address the very first thing you said about DMs, one thing I started doing about a year ago is I've said on my Instagram profile. DMs are off for sanity. Like when I started thinking of every method of DMing me as an inbox and realizing that I've not only got my email, I've actually got multiple email accounts because I work in other places. Uh, and then any social media platform that has that feature on it. And then you've got texting, you've got Voxer or whatever WhatsApp equivalent you use that can start building up to be a whole lot mm-hmm. of inboxes. And so for me, I put DMs off knowing full well people will still DM me, but at least that alleviates the pressure to feel like so that they're, they know I'm not being a jerk by not answering. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I won't miss things. I know I will. But to me, the cost benefit is worth like I'd rather miss those things than feel like one of my job descriptions is being beholden to this inbox and answering yeah. people. They, I'm just not going to. Yeah. And I think that's I think, you know, again, going back to the tool analogy, I think it really depends on what you use it for. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, you know this, I do um, book writing and consulting and coaching for authors a lot. And and the truth is, that's how they get in touch with me a lot of times. More often than not, in fact, if somebody's cold calling me, that's one way to reach out to me. So it's just part and parcel of the job that I do and where mm-hmm. my clients are. That's where they yes. are. And so that's how they hit me, right? But if you're not engaged in that kind of work and people are just deeming you personal critiques all the time, mm-hmm. like I would 1000% do the same thing. Like, Hey, listen, yeah. this is not the place to get in touch with me. Well, and I think this goes to show there's more than one way to do this. So, you know, it, it's not worth it to me because I don't do that kind of work. And, and so all I would be doing is opening myself up to, to people who read my work, which I'm grateful for, but you know, I can't do that at the expense of like, picking up my kids on time and, you know, yeah, buying right. groceries. Um, I think the other thing, this is something I've talked about in my work groups a number of times, like whenever I have, you know, I hate the term mastermind groups, but whenever we we get together once a month or so to talk about our online work, um, something I heard, gosh, five, six years ago that I think about all the time is this idea that we train people to connect with us. I'm not going to say this right, but we train people to uh, interact with us the way we interact with them. I, whoever originally said it, I'm so sorry, I butchered what you said. But basically what we're, what she meant was, you know, if we're going to continually respond to DMs in a place we hate, like let's say Facebook, like by continually responding, we're basically, even if we're saying, I don't want this, but we're still doing it, we're basically telling people you can reach me here. And yeah. so for me, another like thing that I wanted to make really sure of is my email address is loud and clear on my contact page on my website. And so even though people can't DM me, if they really want to get a hold of me, they will take hopefully the the four or five extra steps to open up their email client, copy and paste that email address and send me that email. And yeah. I'll just be more likely to respond because I'm not going to get to my DMs like ever slash for a long time. But, and I'm only bringing this up to encourage a listener, perhaps if they're feeling like they are chained to a social media platform only for that reason, uh, or mostly for that reason, that perhaps there's other ways of doing it. So I'm curious, Seth, if you could speak into the idea that, I I don't know if you listened to the latest episode of Honestly, where Barry talks with a guy named, I forget his name, something Sack, uh, David Sack, I think, um, super rich tech guy, you know, like he was an early guy in PayPal and all these other um, platforms. And he's basically speaking about how uh, these platforms are, are pretending to be public spheres, but they're actually privatized. 
And so therefore, mm-hmm. um, what we think of as a town hall place or a place of where we can gather and talk about real things has been so monitored and so censored and so monetized by other people that it actually doesn't operate the way we think it does. Uh, how do you feel about the big picture stuff like that? Well, I did listen to most of that episode. I haven't quite finished it yet, but but also, I, I mean, I think there's a very valid critique there, but I think there's also a critique of the critique. Mm-hmm. And the critique of the critique is, look, the town hall has never been the town hall. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? So mm-hmm. when I was growing up in high school, there was uh, a, a public park. Uh, it was called Creekmore Park in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And it's this kind of, uh, you know, just like large, open, treed, you know, kind of wooded area. It's beautiful, but it's in the middle of town. And a lot of times people would decide like, hey, we're going to go there and do X, Y, and Z. You know, we're going to have this rally or that rally or whatever. And it wasn't very often, but it was maybe twice a year, three times a year. And once a overtly and nationally known racist organization decided that they were going to uh, come in and, and do this thing and you know, free speech and yada, yada, yada. And the, the, uh, the actual rally was, was essentially obstructed by people showing up. Um, there was one acquaintance that I know who uh, nestled in the top of a tree and shot um, uh, paintball, paintballs at them. Uh, there were others who blocked parts of the entrance to the park and blocked areas on the walking path so that the picketers couldn't come in or the sign holders couldn't come in and these things. And so even in that space, there was a very vocal public sentiment of, no, you will not do that in this park. You will not Mm -hmm. take this park for those Mm -hmm. means. It wasn't corporatized, but it was corporate, right? It was a group of people in the community saying, no, we do not tolerate that kind of speech here. It wasn't the government. It was privatized action. And so I think to some degree, the illusion of the public sphere has always sort of been that, an illusion. And I think the faster that we recognize that, the better. The, there is a difference, though, in as much as this illusion of the corporate sphere is, as you said, it's, it's corporate. It's corporate money. Mm-hmm. A large corporation has decided uh, who the right people are in the park and who the wrong people are in the park. Mm-hmm. Now, the other question that I have is like, do I really care? I, you know, I really don't. But most of, for most of that, it's because you know, I, 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 there are certain types of speech as an attorney that are not free, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't go into a movie theater and say "fire, fire." You can't right. do it. You you can't go outside of uh, you know, the 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 NYPD and yell, "The terrorists are coming! The terrorists are coming!" Like there are things yeah, you I, you can't do. I, I think he said something like there are nine types of speech that actually are not covered under free speech. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so there are certain things you simply can't do. And mm-hmm. and I would argue that a lot of what is being uh, called censorship might fall into one or two of those categories. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, and, you know, people can feel free to disagree with me, um, but when January 6th happened... And there was all this discussion of, you know, all these conspiracy theories floating around and they're going to round up the X, Y, and Z liberals. And they're going to, you know, just in just six days, they're all going to prison and we'll see the true president emerge. And, you know, that kind of speech is actually uh, the kind of, of rhetoric that may or may not be protected under the Constitution. I don't know. But it's certainly the kind of speech that is... Um, uh, inciting action that is violent in society. And so as a corporation, um, for them to have the, the ability to shut that down, do I care about that? No, no. Like, please shut that down. I don't want that kind of speech happening, uh, on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. So I I don't know. It's, I, I can really see it both ways. I agree with you in that example. Here's where I push back as a mom of kids particularly teens, and as an English teacher who is about to teach 1984 in a few weeks, um, I have a real problem when the culture at large 
keeps preaching that two plus two equals five. And when there are people on these platforms that say, no, two plus two equals four, and they get censored, they get banned, they get whatever. And it doesn't happen often, but it does happen. And so, we're starting to but what's an see example? more. What's okay. an example of that? Well, this is going to be somewhat controversial and listeners can disagree with me and that's fine. We love controversy here. A few weeks ago, a transgendered woman won the NCAA swimming something, something. I don't know sports very well, so I'm, I'm oblivious to how the name of the actual competition. Uh, nonetheless, a lot of discussion happened because of this. Some people that decided to call this person a biological male were kicked off platforms. Is a transgendered woman a biological male? That's when you start getting this tricky conversation happening where are you going to decide certain people? And and this is when I get into the literary side of me, when dystopian novels are sometimes more fact than fiction or nonfiction than fiction, is who controls the language ultimately ends up controlling the culture. And so- agree with that or disagree with that actual statement, uh, do you agree with the fact that someone who says something you disagree with, you might even think to be incorrect, should get banned? That's where it gets tricky. Well, you're talking, uh, there are legal frameworks that are implied here. And and Mm -hmm. this is where it gets really tricky. Like, do I think they should get banned? I mean, my opinion doesn't really matter. What I would tell you is if the government were doing it, let's say the government, the United States government or a state government were running Twitter, right? They they absolutely could not ban. That would be a free speech issue. It would be, no, this is what I believe. You can't ban me from it. But because it's privatized conversation, Mm -hmm. the government really has no say over that. It's it's the corporation's decision about what they want to promote. Exactly. And... And so should it or should it not, well, you know, that's the corporation's decision. And it's the shareholders of that corporation's decision. And so that's where it gets tricky. They have the right to do that. Yet when this becomes the public square where so many people get together to talk about ideas and certain persuasions, certain opinions about all sorts of things are censored and therefore you only start hearing one particular opinion or a set of opinions. When are we actually blurring those lines between public and private where, you know, um, it's almost like the tech has more power than the government at that point. Oh yeah. But that's a whole, this is a whole can of worms that you're opening up here because we know Mm -hmm. that's already true. It's already true. Yeah. So think about, think about the, the, uh, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's, literally right now my favorite tangent in the world uh elon musk gets on twitter and says to vladimir putin Mm -hmm. i challenge you to single combat i don't even know what the hell that means but that is awesome i don't think elon knows what that means but yeah (laughs) it's amazing right um and and what are the options at stakes are ukraine (laughs) what are the (laughs) options there the options are putin says nothing and looks weak or Putin accepts and they have single combat, whatever that means. So it's just such a baller move. But but that issue aside, I mean, this is one of the most powerful tech moguls in the world using one of the most powerful tech platforms in the world to to make a, a, a sort of speech argument, a rhetorical argument. Hey, I am strong. You are weak. Right. On top of that, um, we see that Tesla for good, bad, or other, or SpaceX or one of his entities is is donating a ton of equipment uh, to forces in Ukraine for the purpose of, uh, you know, connecting to the internet and, and being able to communicate with each other and opening up VPNs and doing all these different things. And so um, we see again, tech involving itself in a major potential global world war in a way that's never happened before. Why? Well, it's because of corporate influence. And so I I think that that there are actually bigger questions right now than speech censorship. And I know that might be 
uh, you know, many people out there might disagree with me, particularly those who feel like they've been censored. But like, there are much bigger issues than speech censorship. And one of those is when do we decide that tech companies are in fact governments? Mm-hmm. Like, when do we treat them like governments? When do we start yep. to say, look, the, 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 uh, conglomeration of this much power and money and influence and ability to influence speech uh, and ability to influence governments and ability to, you know, send weapons of uh, whether those are communication or destruction uh, to foreign entities that you've deemed are within your interests. When do we say like, Hey, look, you guys are actually operating as if you are small countries. And this is probably the bit of pushback I would give David Sack from that episode because Barry ended asking him, okay, so what can we as people do? And his solution was basically vote and then um, enact government laws that require these tech companies to uphold free speech um, with all the uh, – the caveats of like the nine types of free speech or speech that are not covered under free speech. And to that, I say Twitter is not the United States of America. It might be headquartered in the Bay area, but it's, it's not the U S and so who's to say what government rules are applicable to places like Twitter. And that's where it gets tricky. It really is its own virtual country. Um, You know, especially if you start, Uh, adding in things like Bitcoin as its currency, you know, I mean, we are talking about an an entirely independent nation. And, and that's when you start treading on water when you're not sure what rules apply here. And I would argue, I think free speech is a enormously big deal right now. Like that, that is my, my big concern right now as a parent and as a society, as someone in education, as someone who is very interested in higher education right now and um, what has happened to our universities in the past decade or so. So to me, free speech is hugely important. That said, there is not an easy solution. And so therefore, I'm curious with you, Seth, you've got three more months without social media. What are, what's your plan? Like, what do you, are, are you going to continue what you've been doing? Are you going to change anything? Is there some way you're going to get news differently or not differently? Yeah, I mean, I, my news has been. I pretty uh, that that is one thing that bears saying. I know originally I had said I wasn't going to get any news through algorithmic channels, but that's literally impossible. Oh man! Um, I started the, the only place that I can find where I can somewhat avoid that is um, Axios, which I still use a lot. It's my primary <laughs> source of news. But mm-hmm. um, but even if things aren't uh, innately you know, sort of elevated by an algorithm, uh, by YouTube al- algorithm or whatever, the YouTube algorithm will then influence how the Wall Street 100%. Journal reports on or the New York Times. So I just kind of gave up on that, on that piece. I was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. No, I- I'm going to be wise about the news I'm consuming. I'll probably get some from YouTube. I'll get some from Wall Street Journal. I'll get some from Axios. I'll still look around the other websites. It's fine. I- I'm a smart enough human to figure that out. Um. So I, I think to that degree, I gave up on that pretty quickly. And I will say my life is better. It's easier mm. because I gave up on that. So that's good. So long okay. as you're thinking through the biases that are at play. Right? And you know that they exist. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. So yeah. so that's the, that's the primary piece. Um, with respect to social media, um, you know, for the next three months, I'll continue to do the same things. I'll check in with my DMs. You know, as a result of that, I may insta- see an Instagram post, but I'm not going to yeah. scroll through it. Um, I'm not going to, you know, peruse people's stories. Um, I'll check in on my DMs on Twitter, but that's a pretty quick one click. You know, like I don't, I'm not going to look at 20 things on the front page of Twitter. Um, but I do think that when this is all over, I will probably use both platforms. I'll probably go back to using Instagram exactly how I used it before. I, I would I would suspect very little change in my pre-fast mm-hmm. and post-fast use of Instagram because I didn't use it as a really a way to build a platform or, right. you know, I, I don't know. I just used it differently and I curate yeah. differently there. We've talked about that a lot. On Twitter, I'll probably go to some modified use. So here's an example of what I mean by that. First of all, I, I 
you know, we're friends and we can disagree <laughs> on things. And mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. I right. disagree about censorship on Twitter. Um, I think if you don't want to be censored on Twitter, act better. That's my opinion. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, the the things that I don't really want to get engaged in are the things that lead people to get censored, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. So for instance, like those debates, you know, I have my own opinions about how we treat other people, how other people should be able to participate in society. I don't know that everyone needs to know those. I don't really want to blast those through Twitter one way or another. Um, And there's a reason for that. And the reason is that I have very real people in my very real life who feel differently about things, Mm -hmm. Uh, all, all variety manner of things, politics, sexuality, religion, and so for me to blast things from a Twitter platform about those things, sort of it, it muddies the water for the people in my real life who would see that, right? Yep. I don't want to do that. I want to have a real conversation in my real life about that. Um, the other category of things that I sort of want to avoid when I go back to Twitter is what I'm now going to call the Will Smith slap. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Holy crap. Did the mm-hmm. internet, did Twitter in general just, I mean, the number of text messages I got of screenshots, <laughs> uh, like, I know you're off Twitter, but you got to see this. I mean, it seems like Twitter lost its ever-loving mind over that thing. It did. It did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like, you tell me, what did you see? Because I literally wasn't there other than the screenshots. So I was weirdly watching the Oscars assuming I wasn't going to. Like, I truly, I had heard of two movies, I think, this year. Not even seen them. I think I'd heard of them. And so I really had no interest in the Oscars. Uh, we had them on, I think, you know, my my oldest wanted to see some dresses. And then we just, it just kind of was on. And then I saw the thing happen in real time. And Tate and I looked at each other and was like, did that just what happened? Was that a TV malfunction? Like, did we see things right? So I hopped onto Twitter just to see if people were explaining what was happening. You know, yeah. to me, Twitter can be really interesting during live events. Absolutely. And so, yeah. So for me, I was, I just started scrolling and then I started seeing all these hot takes and think pieces. I mean, think pieces, you know, 280 character think pieces. Right. <laughs> um, Thought in and, the moment pieces. And boy, do people know exactly what happened and why and what are all the implications and reasons and what should happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's impressive how wise yeah. everybody is right away after something has happened. So, um, yeah, it was pretty wild to watch. And what percentage of those people then had to walk back whatever they said in the moment that was so wise? I know a number of people deleted their tweets. Like, not not just people like our f- mutual friends, but like senators, you know, who decided they oh, had they, they had the correct opinion and then realized, oops, I'm getting lambasted for this correct opinion. I should delete it because maybe it wasn't the correct opinion. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah. I'm all for deleting a tweet if you decide, oh, that was a bad take. Uh, but it was just interesting how many people reacted instinctively and then decided, oops, people aren't liking what I have to say. I'm going to take it off. <laughs> See, and that that goes to the that goes to the the previous comment that you made about censorship. It's not really some of it's not really censorship. It's just like mob censorship. It's the mm-hmm. mob deciding like this is not acceptable speech here. And sometimes you need to hear from the mob because you're an yeah. idiot. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've been an idiot. Yeah. And I've said idiotic things that the mob has then said, no, 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 we don't say that here. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the landmines, but I mean, the stuff that I was seeing that people were texting me, it was like, I mean, you talk about straw men and false equivalencies and yep. all of the logical fallacies that you talk about. All the about logical fallacies. Yep. <laughs> all present in this argument yeah. about a dude who got up and smacked a guy for talking about his wife. Mm-hmm. I'm not yep. going to say whether that was right or wrong, but but like when you stop and you think about it, we were watching a Hollywood event in the words of our mutual friend, John Blaze, <laughs> we were watching this event with some illusion that they are somehow like us, right? Like yeah. we have any real connection to their life. A guy gets up on the stage, smacks another dude for making a joke about his wife and gets down. And then for the next 48 hours, all we can do is debate the merits of that. Meanwhile, Widows are being made in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Children are starving. 
uh, Western Europe is wondering what they're going to do about transportation costs. Yeah. There, there are really real issues in the world and we somehow use this moment um, as, as a narcotic. Yeah. Well, this is the feeling I had watching the Oscars the entire time. I haven't seen them in several years. So it was sort of like this jolt of like, oh, yeah, I vaguely remember this concept, um, how self-important it all is and how actually very ridiculous it is. Like, yeah. I was telling Tate, it reminds me a little bit of the Capitol at the Hunger Games. Like, not yeah. only are their yes. outfits ridiculous, but the way they all just are so self-congratulatory and so myopic. And then we treat them as the cultural and cultural elites and thought leaders. And then we, it's, it's like, we can't, um, I don't know. It, to me, it just solidified more and more that I think Hollywood, their influence has decreased so much over the past few years. Thanks in some part to things like social media that, you know, I can find a YouTube channel just as entertaining, if not more, than some movie that the Academy is giving an award to. And so there's some good things about that. But yeah, it just it's just become so like we've become this like, I don't know, caricature of ourselves. And so I I just and this is exactly the example of the thing where I'm just sitting and watching. I I am not going to chime in because people don't need to hear my thoughts. They just don't. And the vast majority of things that I talk about on Twitter are only things that I would happily have a conversation with actually a hundred percent, I would say are the things I would happily have a conversation with, with a friend across the table. I wouldn't do anything else. And so for me, yeah, to come in saying like, I know exactly the right thing to say here is just so self-important. I think. Yeah, that's right. Do you know the poem, uh, this by Charles Bukowski? Mm -mm. I want to read you the opening lines of it. Okay. Do this. This self-congratulatory nonsense as the famous gather to applaud their seeming greatness. You wonder where the real ones are, what giant cave hides them as the deathly talents bow to accolades, as the fools are fooled again. You wonder where the real ones are, if there are real ones. And then it goes on and on and on and ends with a pretty explicitly amazing, explicit Mm -hmm. ending. Um, but, but I mean, I think Bukowski was onto something, right? Like the, yeah. the self-congratulatory nature of, in, in this instance, uh, of Hollywood actually leads to a self-congratulatory nature on Twitter as people talk about how right they are or how wrong yeah. the other person is. And one thing feeds the other one begets the other. That's the kind of stuff that I don't miss about social media. If I'm gut right. level honest, like Actually, when I saw these tweets that were being, you know, uh, texted to me, I actually was laughing. I was laughing <laughs> at them out loud. These are things that probably would have enraged me six months ago, right? And I was laughing at them because they are absurd. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was just, it was just funny to me, I guess. So that's the kind yeah. of stuff that when I go back to Twitter, I do want to use Twitter as a method of communication actually really love the platform. I think it's good mm-hmm. for news gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, I follow a lot of different people who bring news from different parts of the world, particularly from Ethiopia. I think it's really important to keep up with that kind of stuff. Um, so I really mm-hmm. like it as a platform for information and for sharing. Um, yeah. But but the self-congratulatory nonsense, as Bukowski puts it, not yeah. super interested in getting back into that. It reminds me a little bit of The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you've read it, but at the end, it, it's basically a, a guy goes to heaven and he he's given a, a snapshot. And um, there's this moment when this woman is walking down this like gilded path and all these uh, angels are adulating her and she's wearing a crown and she's got like animals. And I mean, she looks like a queen. And at first she's wondering, is this Eve? Is this Mary? And then he says, maybe this is someone of great importance. You know, this was a queen of, of, you know, human history on earth. And long story short, it turns out it is a woman named Sarah Smith, who was a housewife in a no name town in Northern England. And the whole point is that the things that we think are important are probably the exact opposite 
in the real world, the real world yeah. meaning this being a shadow. And so that's what that poem reminds me of. And that's what just social media can confuse us with. And I agree with you. I have not been on much at all. Uh, definitely not Instagram. And I have, um, I'm on Twitter. I check in daily, but it not, I don't say things very often. Um, but when you take that break and you, you get your brain reset, you, you kind of realize, oh yeah, this is all pretty absurd and ridiculous and full of its own self. And hilarious. And hilarious and useful. So I, I plan to keep using Twitter for similar reasons. So I got it. Yeah, totally. It, it, there's, there's another, here's another piece of what I, I miss. You know, I, you know very well how I feel about gurus. And that's going to mm-hmm. come up in uh, what I'm reading uh, this week. Hmm. Um, I, I get really tired of it. I get really tired of Christian gurus. And oddly, a lot of those Christian gurus in the last six months or whatever seem to have taken a bullet um, and are no longer, you know, really sp- spreading their uh, guruism anymore because of whatever infidelity or, you know, theft, mm-hmm. petty theft might have occurred. Um, but I will say there are some really good people out there doing really good work that's not based in guruism. It's just faithful, good, helpful, healthy work. Um, and I kind of miss that. Mm. I kind of miss seeing some of that. Um, Mm. and, and not even because I agree with it. I, a lot of times I don't, (laughs) I I was talking to somebody the other day, um, uh, who's more evangelical and was asking me about, you know, had I seen something by someone? And my comment was, no, I haven't. Um, and then maybe the last evangelical on earth I trust. And then I kind of joked about that. Um, but then as I sort of walked away from, it, I was like, man, I miss seeing so-and-so's work and so-and-so's work and so-and-so's work. And, um, you know, uh, Shauna Nyquist just came out with a book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I have seen nothing around it other than I have the book and it, so far I'm really mm-hmm. loving it. Right. But, and we're going to talk to her in a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super excited to talk to her, but I've seen nothing yeah. around the social media aspect of that sort of book launch. And I kind of miss that. So do you, okay. There's some stuff I miss. <laughs> um, Shauna is in a very small subset of people for me. Uh, I, I know what you're saying. As, as someone that you, you will still happily engage with, in the way they do their work online. A hundred percent. Like I want to, kind of I want to yep. hear her ideas. I want, yeah. uh, I want her ideas to influence my ideas. I want right. to talk about craft. I want to talk about, right. I want to see how she's thinking about releasing a book mm-hmm. because I do mm-hmm. release books from time to time. And so do people I work with. And so yeah. there are things that I miss about authentic sorts of, of, of thinkers and writers in, in that space. And, and I do miss some of that. Now I don't miss all yeah. of it, right? but I do miss some of it. And well, so I think that's a good sign. That's a good sign of yeah. health and that um, those people that are doing it well are um, doing something right when you feel yeah. like you actually benefit from it. And that's ultimately yeah. what we need to ask ourselves all the time. I think when it comes to social media, um, like what is this a net benefit in my life? And if it is great, if it's not, you know, and when I say my life, I mean, your offline actual real life, not a replacement. So, and you I, know, I would and there are people that do that. And I would say net benefit versus net detriment. I, I don't know that I can say that one way or another. I would say if I could limit my social media use to three to four hours total, you know, a week three, or three mm-hmm. to, yeah, maybe even less than that. Maybe, yeah, maybe three to four like periods of like being on it a week, which would never be an hour for me. Um, then I would say it's a net positive. Anything yeah. more than that? I'm kind of more in the Jaron Lanier camp. Like I've got arguments for <laughs> deleting it all together, but yeah. Yeah. I will, I will say if I can come back and, and really stick to that, you know, I'm going to have three to four sort of periods of logging on a week. Um, I think, I think ultimately I like it. I like it as a, as a usable tool mm-hmm. much past that. And it hijacks your brain. At least exactly. it hijacks my brain. It hijacks mine. It hijacks all of ours, even if we're not aware. And which I will, I will end with saying a practical tip for that is to keep a book on you so that when 100%. you're waiting in the grocery line, you don't have to open up Instagram and scroll. You can just read a page of your book. You know, it builds up over time and then you start feeling your brain calm down and be able to handle more long form. And it's lovely. That's right. So, and that's my number yeah. one argument for a Kindle. Yeah. 
pretty much mine too. My own that and travel. Those are my yeah. only two arguments. Yeah, totally. I'm with you. Totally. All right. So Seth, I'm curious, since you already brought it up, what's the thing in your life adding more beauty, goodness, and truth, etc.? So have you read the book Cultish yet? No. I don't even know oh, about man. it, I don't think. This this is one of those books. It came out last year. It kept it it was by Amanda Montel. It came out, out and was sort of lauded as like one of the must-read books of the year. I kept seeing it. It was very interesting to me because of my background. Mm-hmm. Um because I've kind of fa- I found myself in a well, I'll just say I found myself in a church that was somewhat cultish. I'll just throw that right. out there. There's that grenade. Um, <laughs> and then I've I've sort of, which I think a lot of people have. It's not just me. Of course. And then yeah. I, I've seen a lot of other uh, organizations that act in sort of cultish ways, as she puts it. And really, it's a book about linguistics, hmm. which is amazing. It's about how people, particularly these sorts of gurus, whether it's faith gurus money gurus or uh, entrepreneurial gurus or um, like CrossFit or SoulCycle or, you know, I'm a CrossFitter, so I'm picking on myself here. Um, but but these other sort of exercise programs, how they, they use particular kinds of language to draw you in deeper, to bring more mm-hmm. disclosures, to make you feel loved and accepted so that you give more and give more and give more. Um, and she does a really good job of, of sort of saying like there are extreme examples of this and she'll talk about, you know, Jim Jones, the Kool-Aid killer and, uh, you know, uh, the Heaven's Gate cult from when we were in high school. Um, you know, those are extreme examples. And then she'll show how some of those tendencies find their ways in other sort of like American cult forms like fashion or, or exercise or whatever. Um, mm. And it is so well done. It, wow. it definitely should be read because it's made me stop and think, okay, where, where am I susceptible to uh, sort of being influenced by language? For sure. And I think so. that, that, I, that sounds totally fascinating to me. I think that speaks into a little bit of what I meant about language shaping our culture. So have, like that it is the, the main ingredient or the main tool. Um, and I think it's, I love that she dives into the, like maybe a lowercase C cults, because I think most of us will think, Oh, I'm not gonna, you know, wear long dresses and go live in a bunker, but we might get really into Peloton or something like that. You know? Totally. Um, she actually yeah. talks about t- Peloton. Oh, really? There, there's this, yeah, but there's this one, um, there's this one exercise routine and I think it's called intensity. It's like a play on words somehow. I don't know what it is, but she was talking about how she'd always heard it was a cult and blah, blah, blah. And she was kind of culty or whatever, like air quotes. And she laughed about it and she wanted to experience it. So she, she does, she actually does it. She actually does an, uh, one of these exercise regimens. She said, by the end of it, I was falling apart crying. Like, here's the person who's so skeptical and doesn't believe it and does it. And then is like, I'm empowered. I'm great. I'm, you know, and she's crying through this whole thing. And she talks about how really, you know, things can be cultish that aren't all bad. I mean, they're, they're actually using things that we need as humans to play on and to help us in some degree. Um, and, and the part that I just finished was like, listen, you know, Sometimes it's okay, but it's when it serves the guru and not the user that it becomes really problematic. And mm-hmm. and so it's just a really good framework to run everything through. Like, that's am cool. I involved in something that's cultish and does it serve the guru or does it serve me? That's very cool. Um, which reminds me, actually, one thing that I meant to mention maybe three episodes ago or so, as we've been uh, mentioning books, I have been creating just a book list on bookshop.org of all books we have mentioned on A Drink with a Friend. So I just added it to that. So I'll put a link in the show notes, not only to the book itself, but also to just the whole collection of books. I'm not done. I haven't finished because we've talked about a lot of books and I only like fill in the back episodes here and there when I think about it. Um, but one day we'll have all the books we've ever mentioned on the show in that one area. But I just added That's that awesome. And this is a good yeah. one to put there. So Tish, cool. what's one thing that you're reading, watching, listening to, et cetera, et cetera, that is bringing goodness, beauty, or truth, et cetera, et cetera, to your life? 
Well, at the risk of becoming a PBS fan club podcast, uh, have you seen Around the World in 80 Days? I have not. Okay. Uh, the new version that came out in February has David Tennant, and I'm a big David Tennant fan. Of course and you are. I know I am. I know. You actually remind me of him a little bit. Not in personality, but just the way you look. Um, is it is it um, is it because you you see me as being a much better Englishman than American? Is that is that really? What it yeah, is? that's exactly why. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he's Scottish, by the way. You could get killed. Oh, for that. Scottish. There you um, go. I didn't even know that. <laughs> well, anyway, it is a really well done uh, reimagining of it. So I say that because it is not true to the book. And some of you who are purists may not like it because you'll think, how dare they change Jules Verne's original concept but it is the spirit of around the world in 80 days it still takes place in the same time period but it is just really fun great cinematography great editing and music and it's one of those shows you can watch with kids but it's not a kid show which i'm always on the lookout for um we really liked it i want to say it's like eight episodes and done and that's also nice too sometimes you know to where you don't feel like gosh there's six seasons of a show i'm not even gonna bother it's like just a one-off miniseries and it's lovely. So I recommend it. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, you know, eight, eight show things. (laughs) Yeah. Me too. We should probably curate a whole show about docuseries, series, whatever that are Mm -hmm. eight or less episodes. That is a fantastic idea because one of the things Kyle and I was just talking about, uh, we're just talking about, uh, regarding the Oscars and one of the reasons they've gone downhill so much is because the line between like movies you see in the theater and just really good stuff like that that we can stream has really been blurred. And so people just don't care or aren't as enamored as much as the two-hour movie whenever there's like a great eight-episode series. So we should totally do that. That'd be fun. Yeah. Let's make sure that that happens. That's cool. All right. Well, on that note, let's end this episode so we can do another one in a week. You can find this one as well as all of them at adrinkwithafriend.com. As always, if you like the show and what we're doing, you can help keep it going by picking up a round of drinks. Many of you have been doing that lately, and I really, really appreciate it. It's been fun. Um, And also your really nice comments that you leave. You don't have to when you buy a cup of coffee but when you do it's lovely to read so at the cost of a cup of coffee or a pint you can play a big part in making the show happen again that's at a drink with a and i'll put the link in the show notes you can find me and how to connect with me at tishoxenwriter.com seth how about you they can find me at sethhaines.substack.com and i have a new war poem coming out nice. this week probably by the time you've listened it's already come out Very cool. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. I am Tish Oxenreiter with Seth Haynes, and we'll be back here with you soon. Thanks for listening. Mm